0: You're listening to Seed of the Woman, a podcast dedicated to telling the grandest story of all and to exposing the mystery of 666. Seed of the woman is produced by the gospel story Art project using the science of story to better tell who jesus is it's your story too hello everyone randall gilmore here ready to begin telling the bible's story of the seed of the woman ready also to begin telling the counter story of the seed of the serpent exposing the mystery of 666 now one reality connected to 666 not couched in mystery but declared openly, published in plain sight for the world to see. Something that happens near the end, that God makes no attempt to keep secret. A political leader will rise near the end of the age and enter into an agreement with Satan. The beneficiary of Satan's power, his throne, and authority, this leader will become the seed of the serpent. He will exploit the mystery of 666, to fashion a worldwide political, economic, and religious system. And he will be well-received. As I said last time, people are already lining up to receive his mark. But before going too far into Satan's counter-story, we have to take a closer look at the story of the seed of the woman. And in this episode, that's exactly what I'll do, but not in a way you might think. That's because the story of the seed of the woman cannot be summarized with just a few points in an outline. Or in a clever acrostic, the story of the seed of the woman is just that, a story, a true story, carefully crafted to match up to the way God's designed the human brain to process information. Now, if you want to know more about using the science of story to better tell who Jesus is, I invite you to go to gospelstoryarc.org and follow the link to courses. The information is free, but still extremely valuable because it transforms the way you think about Jesus' story for the good, and it transforms the way you share. Now, we'll take a quick break, then I'll return with a summary of the true, historical, and epic account of the seed of the woman. The story of the seed of the woman begins with the God of the Bible, who is the great creator and king. Now, the Bible itself doesn't start out by saying that God is a king. But when we go deeper into the story, we find reference after reference and mention after mention of God's rule and of his being king over all. And like every other king, God has a kingdom, a realm over which he rules, Therefore, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created them to be places where his rule was fully honored and obeyed. And in the beginning, God also sent his spirit into the world to interact with the world. So from the start, there was so much more to the world than just material things and beings. But God did create the material world. And he created Adam and Eve, the first humans, and he blessed them with four types of perfect relationships with him, with each other, with self, which means there was no shame, and with the rest of creation. When God finished creating, he saw all that he made and he blessed it and said it was very good. Now, this is where Satan enters the story. Satan came into the world as an enemy spirit, God's adversary. Satan used a serpent to tempt Adam and Eve to rebel against God. Satan actually spoke through the serpent in an obvious display of what we now call animism. At its core, animism is an acknowledgement of spiritual power associating with material things and beings and often controlling them. It's something people have always known. Spiritual power exists and makes itself known in and through the material world. As for Adam and Eve, they gave in to the temptation and disobeyed. Consequently, the four types of perfect relationships were broken. Their relationships with God were broken, and their relationships with each other were broken. In fact, Adam blamed the woman for their rebellion, almost as if he were pleading with God not to punish him, just her. As in, God, why don't you just kill her and make me a new one? Then we can start all over again. Obviously, a broken relationship. And their relationship with self was also broken. Now there was shame. Keep in mind that shame is the feeling that someone has because of their having done something dishonorable. Shame exists in the gap that's between the ideal version of one's self and reality. And in the case of Adam and Eve, in the beginning, there was no gap. So there was no shame. But after disobeying, the gap between the ideal and what actually happened opened wide. And now there was shame. Finally, the perfect relationship with creation also was broken. In response to all this, God announced curses. First on the serpent, that it would crawl on its belly and eat dust for all of its life. Then on the woman, that she would experience pain in childbirth. Then God announced a curse on the man, that his survival on earth would be marked by struggle and pain. And finally, God announced a curse on the ground, that it would bring forth thorns and thistles, and not just fruits and vegetables. Life would become a struggle, and would end in death, and a return to dust. So, the realm that was blessed and very good in the beginning was overtaken by evil, by pain and suffering, by sin and shame and unbelief, and by death. Still, there was hope. As part of the curse on the serpent, God promised to put hostility between it and the woman and between someone called the seed of the serpent and someone called the seed of the woman. The expression seed of the woman seems very strange because everyone knows that seed belongs to men, not women. But this person is called the seed of the woman. Seed of the woman means this person will be born in an unusual way without the agency of a human father. So, in other words, he will be born of a virgin, and God will be his father. And since God will be his father, and the woman his mother, the seed of the woman will possess both a human nature and the nature of God. Therefore, like God, he will be a king. Hearing this, it's no surprise that Satan's counter story would someday feature his own seed becoming a king in this world. Someone I've described so far as a political leader rising at the end of the age to form a kingdom while exploiting the mystery of 666. Now, God's mention of hostility between the serpent and its seed versus the woman and her seed divided humanity into two sides going forward. Even today, everyone is on one side or the other, the seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent. There is no other choice. And right now, the hostility between the two sides feels as real as ever. Satan's ancient streams of corruption and counterfeit showing up everywhere and beginning to merge into the mighty river I mentioned in episode 1, forming a torrent that will overrun the world when the seed of the serpent finally seizes control. Back in Genesis, God indicated that someday an epic conflict between the serpent and the seed of the woman Would indeed play itself out. God said that the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, causing him to experience pain and suffering and possibly death. But God also said that the seed of the woman would bruise or crush the head of the serpent, indicating that the seed of the woman will win the epic conflict, because when you crush the head of a serpent, the serpent always loses. Over time, God revealed more about himself and more about the character and family line of the seed of the woman. He told of the circumstances of his birth, and of the miracles he would perform to prove his identity. For his part, Satan would do everything he could to oppose God's plan. His foremost strategy? To destroy the seed of the woman, along with everyone else on his side. And in case God turned out to be right, and the seed of the woman might win the epic conflict, Satan also determined to do whatever he could to deny the Seed of the Woman any possibility of ever coming into the world in the first place. And if the Seed of the Woman succeeded in coming into the world, well, Satan would be ready for that too. Ultimately, that's where the Seed of the Serpent factors in. But I'm getting ahead of myself, because that's part of the counter-story and of exposing 666. Eventually, Jesus came into the world to fulfill God's promise of the seed of the woman. Jesus was born of a virgin, just as we would expect, since God never intended for the seed of the woman to be conceived through the usual agency of a man. Jesus grew into adulthood and lived a perfect life, and he performed many miracles, not to show off his power, but to authenticate his identity. Still, the people of Jesus' day rejected him, and they determined to destroy him, in accordance with the plan of their spiritual head, Satan himself. The rulers and religious leaders of Jesus' day built a case against him. As forerunners of the seed of the serpent, they slandered Jesus, accusing him of doing miracles by the power of Beelzebul, the prince over evil spirits aligned with Satan. If Jesus had allowed this slander to stand, people would think he wasn't confident of his identity, and they would turn away. He had to let them know he wouldn't back off any of the claims he made about who he truly was. Jesus knew he was risking death, and not just any death, but death by crucifixion, which meant he would die under a curse, separated from God. But in spite of the danger, Jesus spoke up, showing absolute confidence in his identity, declaring himself to be the one God promised. Ultimately, the rulers fulfilled their intentions. They took Jesus and murdered him on a cross. Make no mistake, it was murder. Though Jesus died willingly, knowing that his suffering and death was the bruising of the heel predicted long ago in God's promise of the seed of the woman, Jesus also knew that his death would pay the penalty that people deserve for joining the rebellion against God. Jesus spoke of his great love as motivation to make this sacrifice. He said, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Three days after suffering the bruising of his heel on the cross, Jesus rose again in power and victory over sin and death, his resurrection marking the beginning of the crushing of the serpent's head. Forty days later, Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God to be exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords. This is why the title Lord means so much to us when we speak of Jesus. It stands for all we know about him as the seed of the woman and for God's declaration that Jesus truly is the one he promised long ago. For this reason, the Apostle Paul said, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Meanwhile, Jesus remains seated for now at the right hand of God the Father, where He's interceding for us as our High Priest and building His Church, calling people from every nation to become believers in Him. Someday, on a day fixed by God Himself, Jesus will return to judge the world in righteousness. When He's finished, Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But none of this takes place before the seed of the serpent makes his infamous attempt at the end of the age to take Jesus' place, and rid the world of everyone on Jesus' side. In the end, Jesus wins this battle, and he does away with Satan and his seed. Afterwards, Jesus will completely restore all things, and deliver his kingdom to God the Father, the great creator and King. God will create a new heavens and a new earth, and everything will begin anew under God's rule. It's important to point out that this story hasn't ended yet. It's one of the reasons why at the Gospel Story Arc Project, we often say, It's your story too. And that little saying has so many implications. Among them is that it's still possible for people to leave the side of the serpent and be saved from judgment through faith in Jesus. But one day it will be too late for people who refuse to believe on Jesus in their lifetime. Like the judgment against Satan and his seed, the judgment against them will be final, separating them from God forever. Meanwhile, God provides a way. Because of his great love, Jesus spoke of this love when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, knowing all this about the story of the seed of the woman, you might ask, Why do so many people refuse to believe in Jesus? The answer is the same as the reason why people rejected Jesus the first time he came. It's because they remain on the side of the serpent, and that's the side of unbelief. It's also the side that thinks that Satan's counter plan will be the one to prevail in the long run. And this is one of the most important things to understand. Satan doesn't accept the ending of this story. To the contrary, he believes he can win. And the end time political leader to whom he gives his power, his throne, and his authority, his seed, the seed of the serpent, Will be convinced of the very same thing, as will the people who follow him, people who have already begun to willingly embrace Satan's counter-story and the mystery of 666. I'll get started summarizing that story next time on Seed of the Woman.